uh, just talk to me a little bit more about Sponge Bath and was long form copy the winner or did you just start there? How did you dissect that and tying that in with Twitter question from Waltham Jr. from CRO Company? This is a emotional needs and tying that in with your, the copy changes here for Sponge Bath. Uh, and I'm actually going to talk about the the landing page that we did for them versus the the homepage revamp that we did for them, which is on our site currently. Hello and welcome to E-Commerce e Uncovered. I'm your host, Matt Lady. Thanks for joining if it's your first episode, and I'm grateful if you're a returning listener. Each and every week, I get to chat with and learn from a wide variety of passionate and intelligent founders, operators, and practitioners in the wonderful world of e-commerce. My mission with this show is to help more D2C brands grow and scale profitably and sustainably. Today's episode is with the founder of Beta Beta Growth, a team of data-driven, laser-focused experts striving to turn companies into conversion-generating machines. They help lower your customer acquisition costs with high-performance copy, landing pages, and funnels. Without further ado, please welcome Kanika Nizra. Welcome hello, to the hello. show. Thank you so much, Matt. I'm excited to be here and excited to get nerdy with you. Let's get nerdy. Let's get <laughs> into it. So who the heck should care about landing pages and CRO? for And con CRO is conversion rate optimization. Exactly. Exactly. And great question. I think um, that's probably the number one question for people who should be caring about CRO as well as people who might not be there yet. So let me kind of define um, each of those two groups. For, for those who aren't probably quite ready for CRO, it's going to be folks who, one, don't really have a whole lot of traffic going to their site month over month. Um, so, you know, if you're just getting started and you're, you're just working on getting people there, getting people to see your products, just getting people um, to visit your site in general, uh, that's, it's probably a little too early to, to worry about, okay, how do I optimize their experience? You just need people there, right? Like that's, that's step one. Um, once you get to, you know, I think like the 5,000, 10,000 visitors per month uh, kind of benchmark, that's a good time to start thinking, okay, great. Now I'm getting a meaningful number of people to the site every month. What can I do to make their experience better? And, and that's the question, right? That is the golden question of CRO is how do I make my user's experience better? How do I get them what they need faster? And how do I just make this entire, entire just, um, I guess, introduction to our brand, as well as the way that they move alongside of, of every action they take, smooth and frictionless and just enjoyable, really, at the end of the day. Um, so that's when you start thinking about it, is when you get you know, to that 5, 10K, 10K mark, um, that doesn't mean that you should necessarily engage another team to, to do it for you right then, um, but that's when you want to start thinking about it. Uh, similarly, on landing pages, right? Same question. When is it too early? Um, too early is if one, you don't have any sort of paid or um, you know email traffic going to the going to the site. If you do not control that traffic, then a landing page is not going to really make a lot of sense. This is the case for a lot of again early brands. Um, it's also the case for folks who very nicely, very luckily, very maybe maybe intentionally have grown organically. So it's just straight up word of mouth. So maybe it's not a high volume, but everyone's only coming. Maybe it is a high volume. People are only coming from you know direct channels. Maybe they're just doing Google search, not paid ads, not Google paid ad words, just search. Um, at that point, the reason it's not going to make sense is because the, the goal of a landing page is to 
kind of connect the dots is to complete a journey, right? And when you have an ad or an email, you're able to give them context before they click. You, you get them interested. You're really the one that's hooking them in, right? You're creating that intent. You're saying, hey, you should care about this. Here's why. Click here to learn a little bit more. Then once they click, that's that post-click journey. I talk a lot about a post-click journey. That's what that means, right? After they click. Post-click journey is going to be great. We gave you this little teaser. We gave you this little appetizer. Now here's more of that main course. Here's what you're really going to get. Here's why you need to make the decision to buy. Here's, you know, you're wondering about, about this and you're hesitant about that. We're going to tell you, hey, don't worry. Here's why you don't need to worry about that. Um, here's what other people think that are like you, right? You're connecting those dots and you're making that journey much more thorough, much more sensical, but only because they have context before they click, because they have the context of your ads, because they have the context of your email. If you were to just have a landing page randomly on your site, that's not gonna make sense for folks, right? So, so even, even people that we work with, they say, okay, great, this landing page is, is working so well. Why don't I replace my product page with a landing page? Right, and, and in theory, that's a great question, right? They're like, wow, this landing page is converting at five, six, 10%, you know, nuts, crazy, crazy stuff. Obviously, I wanna use this on my site too and just get everyone there. Here's the thing, is that the organic shopping experience, people who are just getting there from their friends or maybe from social media, from, from again, just Googling and somehow coming across you, they're not gonna have that same context as you get from an ad. And so if they land on um, what they expect to be a product page and what they expect to have a very traditional experience of, you know, a product image carousel on the left, you know, you have the title, the price, some of the specs, add the cart button, maybe a little context, you know, in between, and then a carousel of reviews. And suddenly, instead of getting what they expect and what they want, what they want to, you know, browse around and have um, for their shopping experience, Instead, they get, oh, this dedicated landing page that is very, very perfectly curated to tell them exactly what they should know. You don't take it in, right? Because there's still that part that needs help. Other examples of money growing up. Did your parents fight about money? Is bankruptcy a part of your family of origin story? And if so, was... A good landing page is not going to feel like, wow, I'm getting hard sold. But that's what it is, right? A landing page is a sales tool. It is, it is very intentionally... Uh, using heavy persuasive copy, um, the user journey comes from a certain source and it continues that, right? Organically, you have no idea where the F they came from. <laughs> so you can't create that journey to make it feel normal. That's um, right. Yeah, that's an amazing start. You just covered a lot of ground in a short time. amount of time. And I'm gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna rewind a little bit and narrow in on a few things. So I love how you mentioned the volume of traffic. Uh, five to 10,000 uh, visits per month, uh, mm -hmm. month over month. And I think that's interesting. And I would love to ask, does the average order value uh, or revenue stage affect that number at all either way? If like if you're selling $30 products, say a t-shirt or a She's Birdie alarm versus a $600 luxury uh, bag, like, does that affect that traffic number at all? Like, could we talk about that a little bit maybe? Yeah, it's a super good question. So I would say that AOV doesn't matter as much. So product price also doesn't matter as much, um, but what does matter is transaction volume, right? So if you're getting five to 10,000 people to your site, fantastic. If, only, if, if you're only getting 10 orders per month, 
that's going to be a little bit more difficult, right? And, and if you're only getting 10 orders per month and you have a $30 product, then yeah, you should definitely be looking at conversion optimization, right? You have, you have a pretty big issue. On the other hand, if your products are, you know, $2,000 products, then just inherently by the type of product that you have, it's likely that you're going to have less volume every single month, right? Maybe you're only getting 100 or 200 or 300 orders every single month, and that's normal for you. Um, at that point, then again, it, it, it'll be a little bit more difficult, right? Because you have to know that there is kind of this threshold that you can't really cross. But either way, it's still a good exercise to start looking at how do I reduce friction? How do I make this exercise better? Um, we work with a lot of products that are, are higher AOV, um, or, or just higher cost in general. I hate saying AOV because you know the whole the whole thing around that. But <clears throat> higher cost in general, um, and you can do CRO. But if you're only in that five to ten thousand session or or visitor range per month, um, it's tougher. So you, if you have those high price products, you want to have a much higher range of monthly traffic before you start CRO. Cool. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks for uh, thanks for adding on and clarifying that. Of course. So I think. If I think uh, I'm ready for CRO or for landing pages yeah. uh, based on your previous criteria, is there, in your experience, you've been doing this for years now mm -hmm. and you've worked with small, large, medium-sized companies, but is there a revenue amount? Is it like a certain amount of like time of the year? Is it like, oh, I'm about to launch a new product? Like when when is a good time to actually start like focusing in on these uh tools more like you said landing page is a tool cro is a tool so let's uh let's dive in there yeah i think the answer to that question is um there's no there's no better time than the present <laughs> so the faster that you want results the faster that you want to hit your goals um the sooner you want to start cro cro is not dissimilar to seo in the idea that um, really meaningful results can take time, right? It can take six months, seven months, a year even to really, really see the, the fruits of your labors. Um, on the landing page side, that can happen faster for sure. Um, and that's simply because you're controlling the amount of traffic that's going there. And you can, you know, if you have a lot of budget to put towards the landing page and you have the tools and the resources to have, you know, people on your team or, or partners to be analyzing the heck out of it. So looking at video recordings, looking at, heat maps, checking out how are people interacting, um, why are they dropping off, where are their friction, all of that good stuff, right? If you have those people and those resources to do it on the landing page side, you might see results fairly quickly, but you don't want to wait until last minute, right? So if you're getting ready for, for Q4 holiday sales, when do you want to start getting your landing pages in order? Uh, now, right? <laughs> July, August, like you want to be, if you're not already working on it, you're gonna feel like you're behind by the time that it's November sales for, for Black Friday. Um, right, right, yeah. So uh, your Black Friday landing page is almost, maybe think of it as like a version three or four or five of the land, like your evergreen landing page, exactly. just with this specific offer and updated product or this bundle or deal, whatever you're doing. It's not, the, it's not the first time you're throwing this sucker out there. It shouldn't I wouldn't, be anyway. I wouldn't, yeah. no. And even if it's a kind of a new, exactly what you're saying, right? You might have a new or different offer that you want around the holidays. Um, you don't want to just start completely fresh from that. Ideally, you have the opportunity, you have the margins where you can test similar offers earlier on in the year. If you don't, then at least you've gone through the exercise of 
these are the styles of landing pages that work best for us. These are the sections of landing pages that we really need to put in front of people. This is the content that people care the most about. Um, you know, this is the user journey that we need to, to have on these landing pages. Gotcha. You have that basis. Then once you do land, once you do launch a brand new landing page for a new offer, you're way further ahead than, hey, we're just going to go ahead and guess on this thing. Sure. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Okay. And then, or if it's, uh, if it's your first time doing uh, Black Friday, then, you know, that's yeah. one thing, but would you recommend people look at years past or should you look at more the, what worked this year? I know there's differences in seasonality and economic trends and COVID versus not COVID and before iOS, after iOS, you know, there's so many different factors. Like how do we start to sift through this? Yeah, I guess if you were using landing pages the year before and then you still have them from this year, I mean, both, right? You want to look at both behaviors because exactly what you said, seasonal and holiday shopping behaviors are going to be super different than, than year-round shopping behaviors. But at the same time, your audience could have shifted over the last three to six months. Um, you know, just the general way that you communicate could have shifted over the last three to six months. Hey, you might've had a brand refresh over the last three to six months, right? So there's new things that you need to figure out how to inject given wherever you're in, you know, wherever you're at in your business. Um, so unfortunately it's not an easy answer, right? You no, of course. Look at, at last month or two months ago, landing pages and say, great, this is going to work the same way. Um, it's probably a better bet than, Hey, this worked last Black Friday. It's going to work exactly the same this Black Friday. It's kind of a combination of both. Yep. Always, always classic. Uh, it depends. And that's, <laughs> that's what we're here is to uh, explain a couple of those. Uh, it depends and what to look Love for it. and what you're looking at. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to skip a question and come back to it because okay. you mentioned it is the rebrand. And if you mm -hmm. had a brand refresh lately uh, this year, so what are your thoughts? I want, I want, uh, spicy, mild, whatever you got for me on a hundred percent full on website redesigns for a brand versus viewing it as uh, an iterative process. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is a great question. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that it's not spicy and it's not a hot take because it shouldn't be like, it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward, at least in my mind, but the only time that you should do a complete revamp of your whole site is if you are going to be doing a brand new uh, brand redesign as well, and you're not expecting to get immediate results, right? So if you're like, hey, this is a totally new identity that we're gonna explore, and we just need to put it in front of the world, that is a separate project than CRO, right? A, a, a data-driven website redesign. If you're saying this is gonna look good, we need to have these colors, we need to have these images, we need to have just this aesthetic, great do it like you need to do it to get your company to where you want it to be so do that but do not do it expecting to see these huge gains on top of it even if you start injecting you know all these random things that you've seen all over the internet of hey this works really well for for this type of brand this works really well for this other type of brand it's unlikely that those are going to work in the same way for you and your brand because there's so many intricacies involved so instead of going ahead and saying yeah let me just redo this whole website. Let me just add in a bunch of best practices and I'm going to expect it to just pay off in 30 days and 10 days, whatever it may be. Go in saying, no, the goal for this revamp, this site redesign was to improve our aesthetic, is, was to um, you know, show or introduce our new brand into the world. 
now how do we actually get conversion lift from it? It's going to be from, from, you know, singular testing. Um, one good analogy I read recently was uh, it's, it's similar to doing, it's similar to, to the difference between math and basketball. And, and let me explain that for a second. Okay. So, I'm super interested. <laughs> yes. I love it. I love it. I love um, it. So, so doing a, a data driven kind of incremental optimization process, which means, Hey, you know what? Uh, we, we did the analysis and we see that people are um, typically buying two products uh, every single time they, they purchase this SKU. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to test having pre-made bundles. So we're going to give people options of buying two, three, and four. Um, the two is going to be pre-selected and we're going to just test that against the normal quantity selector. Uh, our goal for this test is to, to increase revenue um, and AOV. Uh, our secondary goal is to see if that also increases just overall conversion rate. Um, let, let's stop at those two goals, right? So main goal is revenue lift. Second goal is going to be uh, just conversion rate lift. Conversion rate lift, uh, okay, who cares if we're going to get our, our revenue lift, right? Great. So that's a, that's a one-time test. Okay. So you run it, you see what happens, and ideally it works out for you. If it doesn't work out for you, great. You have, you have an answer, right? Do our customers, and I'm just going to make a hypothesis on the start, on, on the spot. Our hypothesis in that situation would be, our, we hypothesize that our customers will be more likely to purchase two of a product if we have the prepackaged solution for them on the on the product page. Great. True, true or false, right? Validated, invalidated. Um, say it's true. All right, fantastic. So now we have this proof point for this SKU that works. One big, one big differentiator there is that might not work for all your SKUs. So don't start rolling this out across everything, right? That is one incremental test. Try it across different SKUs. Um, second thing there is uh, coming back to my analogy of math and basketball, right? So what you've done in that case is you have tested this hypothesis. You've come to this conclusion. You've, you've hopefully made sure to test it properly so it's statistically significant and that the results will replicate at scale. And so that is equivalent to a math problem, right? That is one plus one equals two, right? There's, there's not a lot of grace, gray area. Yep. All good so, so far. Makes sense. I'm okay. a huge basketball guy, so I've been dying to hear this part of it. I want to hear right. it. So basketball, it can apply to basketball. It can apply to really any sport, to be totally honest. Um, but then, you, you know, you, you start exploring the internet, you start exploring Twitter, you start exploring all these blogs that are out, and it says, okay, for your brand, you absolutely need to try this. And it worked for us, so it might work for you. This is the best practice. Go for it. Okay. And you try it out. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. But you don't have any, any data. You don't have any um record or any sort of uh backlog of evidence to show that it does work or it will work or it can work over and over and over again um so in this case you took a best practice maybe it worked maybe it didn't but it's like basketball because it's like a play right so you could be playing you know the the ravens right and this play crushed against them you guys ran it seven times and every single time you did, they just didn't get it. They were playing a zone defense and, and 
you just nailed it, right? Every single time you scored. Okay, well, then you try to do this again against, you know, let's say the Patriots. I'm in Boston. You, you try this against the Patriots. They, they couldn't, you know, they got, they shut you down every single time. It was the same exact play. It worked really, really, really well before. It's the same game. You're still playing, I don't know. I guess I switched from basketball to football, didn't I? Yeah. You're still playing. <laughs> you're still playing a game, a sport, yeah. the same sport, and instead you're just using a playbook that sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. So when you're doing a redesign, a revamp, and you're going to just be putting in a bunch of best practices, it's like using a bunch of plays, right? It's a it's a playbook that sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You can't replicate that win against every single every single team. Right. Okay. When you're using iterative testing, then it's more like math. You've tested this at scale, you know it's statistically relevant, and you know that one plus one equals two. It's going to carry over and it's going to work. And it works? Okay, that's great. That's that's great. I, I was about to give you crap for football versus basketball, but you got, you, you, you got it. You already got it. I, was, uh, I wasn't even going to use real teams. I just couldn't think yeah. of like, I was like going back to my high school and being like, all right, what teams did we play against? And then I'm realizing that they're like, teams that names would be canceled at this point so i was like okay i shouldn't i shouldn't name them and then i just kind of lost with, with, with no, no worries uh, <laughs> all good um this this is actually i'm going to tie this question in this is uh jess from fire team asked mm-hmm. uh, uh pretty much this kind of question and yeah. kind of scenario is a bunch of best practices the site isn't using them do mm-hmm. i have to test them all make a bunch of changes at once and so what what i'm hearing you saying with math versus sport in this, this playbook, yeah. it all depends on who you have on your team. <laughs> if you have a really good player and this type of play, like your product, <laughs> mm-hmm. tends to work better for this low, like lower AOV, lower price point, or the certain demographic, then sure, you're more likely to be able to pull that play in from this playbook and apply it to your brand. Because you know the players and the tendencies and their skill level, but you're if you're reaching for a play that is against a zone defense and you don't have anyone that's good against zone and your products don't like, this doesn't work like that. So right, right, I, yeah. I think that's a good yeah. It's a good way to look at it. I think the other way to look at it is if you see a bunch of best practices. And you say, hey, maybe you even look at a competitor site and you say, hey, you know what? They're using a lot of best practices. We should do it too. The, the big catch there is that you have no idea how it performs, right? And even if you did, even if you say, you know what? I know an insider there. I know somebody that works there. And they told me that their, their store conversion rate is, is 5% and, you know, it's incredible um, compared to our 1%. So we're just going to go and copy whatever they're doing. Okay. Just like you said, you might be at a slightly um, more advantaged spot to, to roll out some of those best practices compared to a completely different site that has nothing to do with what you're selling and is in a, in a different vertical altogether. Um, but here's the thing, is even if you're looking at competitor site, unless it's the exact same product, you're selling this exact same benefits, same niche, it's the same audience, it's the same you know seasonality, um, unless it's exactly the same inputs, you know, you're using the exact same, you know, traffic sources, all of that. If, unless it's the exact same inputs, it's very unlikely that it's going to perform the same way for you. And, and shit, it might be performing horribly for, for a competitor. Again, think about that. The other part about this is that it's a lot harder to, to one, replicate those wins when it's a bunch of best practices. 
So you don't know why something worked, right? So next time you roll out a new a new SKU, or next time you want to make a, a, an optimization to your site, you don't really know where to start. You don't have that insight on the customers. Hey, you know what? Um, our customers, uh, they really value, I, I, I talked about this the other day, they really value the founder story in a big way. And so it's not just making things look prettier. It's not just adding these bells and whistles to the page. It's actually the, the founder's story that they value. So not only can we optimize these product pages with that, now we can go ahead and say, hey, you know what, our emails need to tie in more of the founder story. Maybe our ads need to tie in more of the founder story. That That is a win that's repeatable across many facets of your business, including other CRO wins, right? So now when we're looking at other product pages for that partner of ours, we can tie in what we learned there on top of the other learnings that we're getting for that specific SKU. Um, so that's part of it. And the last thing, I'll, I won't go too, on, too long for this because I, I definitely could. Um, but the last thing is that it's, it's also harder to undo parts of it and to, to figure out, okay, was it my sticky navigation? Was it my bundle options? Was it my um, you know, secure badge? Was it my payment options bad? Was it my free shipping? Was it my return policy? Was it my review stars? Was it my testimonials? Was it my product page images? If you're doing everything at once, it's, it's hard to identify what was that thing that made the difference. And it's probably gonna cost you more time and resources to implement all of those upfront versus doing the opposite. Test one at a time, does it move the needle, does it not? And then once you actually implement it across, across either your site or across that page or across that collection, then it's gonna cost you a lot less long-term. So we are a big fan of taking big swings sometimes, and we do it a lot with copy. You know, we, we like to actually start with longer copy initially, see how people engage with it, see how people, um, what people value out of it, and then we take it away, right? We, that helps us identify. So it's easier to, to delete than to add in situations like that. But when you're stacking completely different, I, I almost want to say features, it's not really features, but when you're stacking completely different sort of like CRO features on top of each other, um, it's, it's more difficult to say, okay, what is it that's resonating? What is it that's, that's driving that specific action? Because it's all over the place. Uh, thanks for breaking that down and providing a few different um, explanations and pieces of the puzzle there. Um, I think that's really good. And I think it leads into the question I wanted to ask you about before mm -hmm. was the metrics and reviewing performance and metrics. And we're talking about post-click experience of these landing mm -hmm. pages and CRO and product page or versus homepage, all this stuff. But like, when do you know, uh, or when, how do we determine when to like change the ad creative, the ad copy, the the image versus video versus headline, ad targeting, all these different things. Like there's so yeah. many variables and factors. How do we, again, uh, uh, how do we go in the sandbox and start moving stuff around to see what helps us build a bigger like, sandcastle? Meaning is it is it the ad or is it the landing page? Yeah. Um, or when when do we manipulate which one? Um, that's a really good question. And I think it's, it's one of those things where um, it's not everyone's favorite answer but you kind of have to be working on, on both all the time, right? And, and that's the only way to um, really have something be sustainable. Um, that being said, landing pages often can be more evergreen than, than ads. 
Um, so that's a big reason why we say, hey, you should you should start looking at these and you should start testing them and getting them to perform at a at a baseline that you're happy with. Because in many cases, in our experience, they can kind of outlast, you know, ad fatigue. Ad fatigue can wear out a lot faster. Um, that being said, always always keep an eye on you know kind of your soft metrics from ads. Um, I used to be a media buyer. I think I've told you that before. So uh, I could be wrong, and people might 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 come and and jump me for this because I don't do ads anymore. So I couldn't tell you if, if it's right or not. But the soft metrics that that I would look at um, would definitely be click through rate. Are people interested? Right? Like it's it's not going to tell you like hey this is super successful, but it's going to give you a baseline. Are people interested? Right? Cost per click. That's a great one to look at. Not only again just to to see if it's financially viable for you, um, but is your cost going up by using this landing page? Is it staying the same? Is it going down? That'll that'll tell you a lot. And of course, your your CAC or your your CPA, um, depending on which industry you're in, your your acquisition cost or your cost per acquisition. How is that looking when you're switching out landing pages? Um, I'm not going to get it onto here, but but the way that you test landing pages should be um, you should be careful, frankly. Um, I think a lot of people, ooh, I wasn't gonna say it, but I'm gonna say it and let's see what happens. Um, <laughs> a lot of people are uh, in the practice of testing landing pages just by swapping out the URL on Ads Manager. So they keep their control URL, say it's a PDP, and then they duplicate it, right? They have another ad set, same campaign, same ad creative. And the only thing they change is going to be the the ad, or sorry, sorry, the destination URL. Okay, right? and so it's going to go. yeah, so th that's different. And you're saying, and you're saying that's not correct, or what well, you would not advise. Let me let me, let me ask you this. I know you, you do you do media buying, right? Or you have yeah. past life. Um, would you rather try to uh, optimize and scale an account that has past data? Or would you rather do it for, for an account that has no data yet whatsoever? I would rather start with some data than no data. Okay, exactly. And um, what is Facebook motivated to do as a company? Spend your money. Right. And <laughs> what do they need to do in order to spend your money and, and to get more money out of you? Is to take your... <laughs> Take your money. <laughs> Take your money and show you some sort of results. Yeah. Right? If you see some results from Facebook, you're going to say, great. Yes, let me spend more. That's looking good. This is where I want to put it towards. What happens when you're splitting um, a, a past PDP, for example, against a brand new landing page is that there's no historical data on that new landing page. So the algorithm itself is very smart. And I know this has gone back into big attribution conversations on, on Twitter, and I'm not going to get into that. But... The truth is that the algorithm is smarter than we are. It just is. That's it. End of story, period. And if you are trying to beat the algorithm, you have an uphill battle. And you also don't know if your results are accurate, right? Like, I'm not saying that in every scenario, your landing page is going to lose if you put it against a tested and tried PDP. That's, that's not necessarily the case. But what I am saying is that that is not a true test and it is not something that will necessarily work at scale because what that Facebook algorithm is saying is, I know this other page. I have sent people there before. I know the types of people that I need to send into this campaign and that's who I'm going to optimize for, right? So when you're going and you're going to switch this landing page for another campaign, 
that might not work at scale again. So there's two ways that I, I recommend doing it. One, use a, use, a, use a redirect splitter. Use something like Google Optimize, right? And what you're gonna do is actually take the control and use the control link as your new landing page, for example. So control is gonna be newlandingpage.com, right? The, the variant one is gonna be the actual control. So your previous PDP, what that does is to Facebook, it's gonna see just that new link and it's not gonna be competing within the same campaign, within the same ad set against something that it already knows, right? So that's one way to do it. That is the way that I think is um, most acceptable to, to other media buyers and most acceptable to, to folks like me. Um, that's kind of the middle ground solution. The other solution that is often a tough sell, and again, um, <laughs> these are the people on Twitter that keep their mouths shut, but uh, the, the other way to do it, right, and which is truly the most statistically significant is going to be to run a clicks test. Because what that does is that it disengages the algorithm for post-clicks, right? When you do a clicks campaign, all Facebook is optimizing for is the clicks. Who on our platform using our algorithm can we get to click on this ad? We do not give any shits what happens afterwards because that is not the goal. That is not what we're optimizing towards. Yeah, is your quality going to be shitty? For sure. Is your conversion rate going to be low? 100%. But is it a true test of completely blind you know, folks, audience that has no kind of preconceived direction or information or uh, algorithm sway? Yeah, 100%. So if you're saying, okay, which one-to-one, -one, which page converts people at a higher rate, that is going to be how you know it, right? We are sending a bunch of people to this page or being split between these pages. They have, the algorithm has no care whatsoever what happens after they get there. Which page, one-to-one, -one, is more likely to convert them? That's going to give you your answer right there. Earlier, you said you had a bot that was pretty mild. This was a little, this was a little spicy. We turned it up a little bit. I love it. I love it. I absolutely appreciate that breakdown. Uh, I think the first way is pretty sensical and Google Optimize is a relatively common tool. And uh, I believe it's still free. Uh, yep. <laughs> so that is another big plus. So um, uh, thank you for breaking that down. That's, yeah, uh, that's no, amazing. For sure. <laughs> if anyone wants to talk about it, hit me up. I think that it is something that will probably get a lot of hate because it is, um, it gets complex, right? Like thinking about the algorithm and how it works and how it optimizes. And I think there's a lot of arguments um, that people can have saying, I'm not going to even get into what they could say, but um, there's a lot of arguments that could could try to support the other way around. Um, trust me when I say I have I have got around, and I've been actually convinced of this method. I was convinced of the other method for for a very long time, um, and and I'm happy to have that that conversation. But it's tough to grasp. It's very tough to grasp. So you've been you've been converted onto this. Side. I've been converted. Yeah. I've been converted. Exactly. Exactly. Because I was yeah. 100%. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So tying back in from earlier, you mentioned that you had long, you like starting with longer form copy, generally yeah. more words than less, and then you can pare down or figure out where they're reading mostly or yep. what stands out the most to these people. I want to tie in um, a, a brief case study you had on your site of sponge bath. So talk to me, mm. you had some copywriting, some UX updates, some design, a lot of different stuff going on. 
uh, just talk to me a little bit more about Sponge Bath and was long form copy the winner or did you just start there? How did you dissect that and tying that in with Twitter question from Waltham Jr. from CRO Company? This is a emotional needs and tying that in with your, the copy changes here for Sponge Bath. For sure, for sure. Sponge Bath is a great example. Um, one, anyone listening to this, don't look at our website. It's horrible unless you're looking like maybe after August of 2022. Um, right now, it's July of 2022. Don't look. It's, it's, it's old and it's what I made myself and I'm not a designer or a developer. Anyways, SpongeBath is still a very good example to, to talk about. Uh, and I'm actually going to talk about the, the landing page that we did for them versus the, the homepage revamp that we did for them, which is on our site currently. So the landing page we did for them um, was was super long form. It was actually probably one of the longest pages that that we've ever done. Um, and if you want to see it, go and go and search my my Twitter history. Um, it's on there somewhere, but it's it's been a while. Um, regardless, this is a a product that is pretty blue ocean, meaning that there's not a lot of competitors. Um, but the the indirect competitors are often just kind of like household or like do your DIY solutions. Um, and so what sponge bath is, is it's a, it's a sponge holder that cleans and sanitizes your sponge at the same time. Right. So uh, if you guys didn't know, cause I didn't know until we started working with them, um, your sponge, your kitchen sponge has more bacteria and germs than your toilet does. Um, it is absolutely disgusting. And <laughs> excuse me, the, the founder actually even went on a, a, a subway um, and wiped down a subway, uh, a car in, in New York City, um, and compared the, the bacteria to, you know, a regular kitchen sponge. And it's, it's pretty comparable. Like, it's disgusting what your kitchen sponge is like. Um, so it's no good. Anyways, the, the number one, I'm going to start with your last question, which is tying in emotion. So the number one objection that they got, the number one comment they got on all their Facebook ads, the number one just sentiment that was repeated over and over and over again was, can't I just put my, my sponge in the dishwasher? Or same thing, can't I just microwave my sponge, right? Those are two kind of DIY solutions that I think have been circulated pretty widely um, you know, around, around house, household cleanliness. Uh, and so that was a big reason because this product also wasn't cheap, right? So you think for, for a, a, you know, a sponge holder that, that cleans your sponge, um, these price points were, I wanna say 50, 60, 70 bucks. Um, so it wasn't like a $10, $20 product. It was something where, hey, you know, for, for the average American, you're making, you're making kind of an investment, right? It's not something that you're picking up at the Dollar Tree or, or something like that. Um, so they're skeptical. Why would I buy this when I could just throw it in my dishwasher or, or, or throw it in, a, in, in, the, in the microwave and zap it? And so a big part of, of the landing page for us was, one, to hook them emotionally, right? Um, explain to them not only the functional benefits of, of getting a, a sponge bath and um, functionally cleaning their home, but also the emotional benefits of making sure their family wasn't sick, that they didn't get sick, um, making sure that, hey, this investment might, might, might feel like a lot to you, but here's a long-term benefits for you, right? Not only that, but it, yeah, the price point might be a little bit higher, uh, but the reason for that is the quality, and it's, it's going to last you a hell of a lot longer than, than something else. Um, and, and it's something that we guarantee, right? And it's, it's also made here in the U.S. Um, so just kind of taking those emotional ties, right? I think we, we as humans, we as marketers sometimes, um, as much as we say, we know we need to focus on benefits. 
uh, we get we get very pulled into the tangibles, um, you know, things that, that our products and, and our, our partners' products can offer. But the in, intangibles often mean so much more, right? Apple is the master of this. Nike is fantastic at this. You know, you're, you're the athlete or you're the artist. Um, similarly, you know, the, the intangible benefits that our, our, our partners' products offer um, can often outweigh the, the tangibles. And in this case, you know, taking care of your family, making sure that you don't get sick, um, making sure that something's going to last you so you don't have to spend time and money replacing, um, you know, honestly, your sponge, right? So that was another question. A sponge cost me 50 cents. Why, why don't I just replace my sponge all the time? Well, realistically, this, this lengthens the time that you get to, to use your sponge. And um, for that landing page, we did, we did, you know, a bunch of data and research as well. And I think over the course of um, maybe a year or two years, I don't remember, uh, you end up saving money. Um, and, and of course, there's that, that environmental aspect, right? So people who don't want to just create a bunch of waste, throwing out their sponges, here you go. So a bunch of different emotional aspects that, that we wove into this page. Um, and this landing page went from converting at, at around 2%. Um, these guys are, uh, I think, currently just a little under eight figures. We were working with them and they were in that eight figure range. Um, and they, uh, they went from 2% to, to around 10%. Um, and on their best days, they were converting around 14. On their worst days, they were converting around eight. Um, so the landing page made, it, made a huge difference for, for them. Um, and a big part of that was the emotional piece of that. Um, in terms of cutting down and cutting back, this was one of those, and this has happened more often than not, and why I'm such a proponent of, of longer form landing pages, um, especially if you're coming from a traffic source like Facebook, where people are down to, to actually dig in and read and, and learn compared to Snapchat, where people are just like, quick, 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 give me what I want, bye. Um, we tested cutting down their copy. We tested um, you know, removing whole sections. Um, just a slew of things that basically did, you know, best practice of making it shorter, making it shorter, making it shorter. None of those performed better. People wanted to have all the context, all of the knowledge. Um, they, they wanted to learn. Yeah. And it's, uh, to me as a, uh, as a male who doesn't really love doing the dishes, it's, this is like, this is so like simple. It's like a sponge and like this sponge cleaning solution. And it's all right. the stuff I'm like, all right, hold up. If I'm really going to spend 50 bucks on this, like you're yeah. going to have to convince me. I'm going to have to read there and scroll and like, okay, well shit, they did the math. Like they actually, exactly. you know, so I think it like looking back and like, you know, after the fact and hearing you talk about it, uh, makes a ton of sense, but it's definitely- Man, it doesn't only work on, on Blue Ocean. Uh, type of products either like one of the most I'm not going to name them because because I'd feel bad but one of the most uh, uh, successful landing pages that we did was also it's another seven figure brand uh, in the kind of cookware space home goods again a kind of actually home goods funny enough um, and they were selling reusable bags so just just not the plastic bags just the things that you can put groceries in and just the things that you can use again <coughs> excuse me these allergies are killing me I'm so sorry um but their price point for like two reusable bags was like 35 bucks or maybe a little bit more. That's high. That's really high to spend on a bag. And it was a very long form page for a commodity. Mind you, everyone knows what the F of, of reusable bag is. Like, what do I need to explain about what it is? 
I don't need to explain what it is. I need to explain how it helps and what are those emotional benefits, how it makes you look, how it makes your life easier, how it, it does more for, for the environment rather than having to, to throw away all these bags. Um, and and it, it convinces people, right? They go from, do I want to spend almost 40 bucks on some bags to like, I need these. Yep. Yeah, that's the motion. That's what really kicks you, that brings you over the edge of like, oh, do I really want this and need this? And you're like, oh no, I need this. And then I need to go tell everyone about it because they need to, we need to save the earth one bag at a time, all that stuff. So 100%. that's awesome. Um, yeah, those were some amazing insights on the long form copy there. Um, we're going to start landing the plane here. We got a little bit of right. time left and we got last couple questions from uh, a previous guest of the show, Dave Rukic from Bamboo Earth. He asked, what is one of the most common CRO piece advice that you hear that you think actually tests poorly pretty often? So a really specific one that I think of a lot, um, one that, I mean, everyone talks about button colors. Like that's an obvious one, so I won't go into that, but like, yes, that, that doesn't typically make a huge difference. Um, Reduce copy is another one, so I'm just going to throw that out there, given our last our last conversation right here. Um, but one that people always talk about, and I have maybe we just haven't found the winner yet, but sticky add to cart buttons on product pages. Um, I have yet to see that actually make a meaningful meaningful lift um, in general, you know. And I think we've we've started to put so much weight into the idea that people don't want to scroll which is true in a, in a lot of a lot of instances um but the the classic it depends right if you have an engaging product page if you have just information that people want to get and, and you're giving it to them a sticky add to cart like nobody cares if they this is my gut so again i know people have seen success we haven't people don't mind scrolling to get to the button Right, so like that's not going to be the thing that that skyrockets your conversion rate, at least from our experience. It's just never been. We've run it a number of times. It's just never been that. Hey, that's a winner. Sticky, add to cart. I love it, and it's uh, yeah. Oh, it's mobile friendly, and it like saves them time. You're like trying to like assume all this stuff. That's interesting. No, uh, and people yeah. people do it wrong a lot too. Ooh. So if you if you want to see how people do sticky add to cart incorrectly, I think Baymard has a really good article on this but um if not really quick really quick summary is if you make it so that the sticky add to cart button is appearing always that's a problem make sure that it only appears after they've gone past the first one the second thing that people do a lot is they, they just don't have an add to cart button in that product in that top product section at all right so they only rely on the add to cart button being part of that sticky banner whereas if you're going to do it, you need to have it in the places that people expect. You don't want to go against natural kind of shopping convention because it's going to confuse the shit out of people. Yep. That's uh, you're trying to get too smart. You're trying to like remove too much friction, but you're actually adding it because it's against exactly. what's expected. So uh, that's really interesting. And then uh, one more from Big Dave is uh, what was one of your largest unexpected wins? A test that surprised you with just how much lift it created. Yeah, this one, it always annoys me. I, I posted about this one actually too um, previously, but it was super annoying to me because it was something that was so simple um, and, and it did a lot for them. And it was simply, it was, it was for an apparel company and, uh, you know, they had a banner at the top of their site. You could see it from every page and it said free shipping over $99. And so, you know, 
that's obvious for people. Even on their product pages, they had uh, right right near the price said free shipping over ninety nine dollars, and you, you'd think that okay, great, like shipping is pretty clear to people. But what wasn't clear was how much does shipping cost me if it's under ninety nine dollars, right? And going through their FAQs, they didn't have this. Um, going through their their product page, they didn't have this. Basically, there's nowhere on the site to actually get this information. Um, unless you went through the, the steps to checking out. And so stupid, simple test. We literally put underneath the, the add to cart button on the product page um, for all SKUs that were under $99, um, standard shipping, you know, colon, $5. Super simple. That, there's no other way to, to really understand that. Boom. And uh, that, that improved conversion rates, improved add to cart rates, and it improved AOV. Um, which was a nice, nice little, you know, side benefit. And I, my, my gut of why that happened is because, you know, there's a lot of people and there's a lot of stores that, that end up blaming their checkout, they end up saying, wow, our site, we have a really, really great add to cart rate. And, you know, uh, the site in general has fantastic metrics, but our checkout, you know, we're losing everyone at checkout. The truth is that if you don't give people information up the funnel, so on your product pages, on your collections pages, on your home pages, if you don't give them that information there, then all of your problems just, just get squished down to your checkout. So it doesn't mean that your checkout's broken. It doesn't mean that your checkout is, is abnormally flawed. It just means that you didn't give them the context before. And so they just happen to get to that stage, and that's when they say, okay, this is where I'm supposed to pay, and you didn't tell me how much this cost or this did, or um, now I feel bamboozled. So that's part of this test, right, is people, people got nervous. They said, all right, how much are they going to cost me? Or they didn't know that it was $5. And maybe in their mind, they said, okay, maybe shipping's $2.99. And they see $5 and they're scared of it, right? And, and people just don't want to feel like they, they're getting tricked, like they're not being, um, you know, a valued partner in this transaction, right? That's what they want. Um, and so try to, try to always mitigate those risks, mitigate those concerns as far up the funnel as, as possible. Um, I know people are going to say, hey, well, aren't I going to kill add to cart rates if I tell people that shipping costs, maybe my shipping costs are really high, they're 30 bucks. No, you're, you're, you're probably going to, one, create a better rapport with your customers. Two, they're going to see it anyways. So why are you forcing them to go through three steps to do it? Um, three, you're not going to get as accurate as information because, again, you're going to be part of that pool of people who just say, hey, my checkout's broken. What do I do? And they say, oh, add a logo to it. Hey, add add your return policy to your checkout. It's like, cool, those are good things to do. Those are good best practices, but is that what's gonna fix it? Probably not. You need to look more upstream to really get that to work. So that was a frustrating test that, that did a lot, it was super simple. Oh man, it's frustratingly simple, but uh, yeah, $5 shipping. Love that, uh, $5 adding, shipping. adding that in. <laughs> Dude, thanks so much for your time. Uh, this is incredible, this flew by. Uh, where do you want to point people if they want to talk to you, follow up, or even hire you? Where do you want to send them? Yeah, for sure. 100%. So um, you can find me uh, on Twitter. I think that's the best way probably just to get uh, in touch quickly um, or relatively quickly. So my handle there is at Kanika, K-A-N-I-K-A underscore Misra, M-I-S-R-A. Um, so that's there on Twitter. Otherwise, you can go to our site. Don't judge it. Uh, our site is betabetagrowth.com, B-E-D-A-B-E-D-A growth.com. Um, bunch of ways to get in touch with us there we have our, our email our uh, text number you can call whatever works for you and I'd, I'd love to nerd out so even if you just have a question if you just want to chat about things please reach out it's my favorite thing 
Awesome. There you go. Reach out. Chronica is amazing. Super, super smart, super helpful, super friendly. Uh, thanks again for your time. Everyone else, thank you so much for listening. I hope you come back. And if you don't, you learned a lot anyway in this episode. Uh, everyone else, I will catch you on the next one. Thanks so much.